What's up, guys? Manny Carrera, your real estate resource, and this is episode number three of Whiskey Wednesday podcast sessions, where we sit with business owners, influencers, entrepreneurs, movers, and shakers over a glass of some fine whiskey. Today, I'm going to be joined by my good friend, investor, entrepreneur, and developer, John DeSlongchamp. John, what's going on, buddy? Hello, everybody. Cheers, cheers. Um, Thank you for for showing up and uh, being part of episode number three. Um, what happened to one? One, we already, it's already out, iTunes. Oh, sorry, we had to, uh, <laughs> yeah, we had to get a, we, we got Teacher of the Year, though, number one. Yeah, he was podcast number one. Uh, podcast number two, last week, we had the owner of Vitolas. So, yeah, so uh, today's podcast, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have uh, you on, you know. I, for one, you know, this guy is a big influence on, you know, my life in real estate and out of it. Um, you know, one thing that I, I enjoy about you is that you're just so, um, you know, you're in, so informed and you've been, you've experienced so much uh, and you've gone through so much in the success that you've had in life that you're able to share that. So um, I'm really excited for this podcast. I uh, kind of want to start off with what we're drinking right now. You kind of want to tell us what we're drinking today? Well, I started off with a Glen Levitt. Glen Levitt. And I, we finished that bottle. <laughs> so now we're on the count <laughs> 15. Yeah. These are single malt whiskeys from uh, Scotland. Uh, very good bottles. Uh, I think that's the best they have here. Glen Levitt, yeah. Glen Levitt, McCallum. Not the best, but the age. I think 15 is the oldest I saw back here. Yeah. But I'm a single malt, non peated kind of guy. So, so you're a Glen Levitt guy. And I got you drinking McCallum right uh, You know, I, I like a lot of Scotch whiskeys, but. McCallum, I love it. Glen Levitt's my favorite. But, um, which which bottle is your favorite from from Glen Levitt? You know what? I take a twenty one and sip that. Twenty one. Yes. I don't. I haven't tried the twenty one, but um, for all you listening and watching, um, we actually just had a John gave me a, a big lesson in whiskey the other day. Probably a two hundred and twenty thirty dollar lesson. Uh, we had a, a drinking session uh, the other day over lunch, and he kind of showed me the differences between whiskeys and, and taste, and I learned what peat was, right? Well, yeah, because I was drinking, uh, I think, an 18 right. Right over lunch, and you were drinking a Johnny Walker Blue, which I'm, I'm a fan either way, but I don't like the peat-flavored whiskeys, uh, Scotch whiskeys, to be exact. Um, and for those that don't know, what is peat? Because I thought it was a guy well, that made whiskey. <laughs> it's a guy named Pete. <laughs> the whiskey. No, uh, the peated, peated whiskey is really, uh, during, during the distilling process, they burn peat to get that smoky flavor into it during the distilling process. And that's how you get that flavor that you taste, like in Johnny's and, and different bottles that have it. I don't like it. I think it changes the flavor too much for my palate. But, right. Um, some people do. I think she just has the same thing, but... So I don't like that. Other people do. Just taste yeah. preference, I guess. Yeah. I, so what we did is we put these out, and I go, right. well, he didn't know what the difference was. I go, well, let me order you one with or without. Tell them what I was drinking, though. When well, you had the Johnny Walker Blue. I was drinking black, actually. Oh, black. I thought it was I was drinking Johnny Black on the rocks. On the rocks, and I said. And you showed up. Yeah. A little late. I don't know how many I had. I had like 20. <laughs> easily had one. I did just one. But, yeah, I showed up and ordered a... 18. Yeah, we got a... No, it was actually 25. Well, I ordered one. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, We're going to argue like wives and husbands. So um, (laughs) I showed up and um, I ordered mine and I tasted my ass when he was drinking. I'm like, do you like that? He goes, yeah, I 
pretty much like, hey, well, let me taste it. And I taste it. I go, yeah, it's the peat. And you didn't understand. So we went through that. And I said, I'm going to order you shots right now of whiskey, different types, different areas from the blends, and maybe an Irish whiskey and plus your Johnny Walker. He went through all, my tummy was done. He loved his Johnny and started with the ones I'd ordered him, <laughs> yeah. which ended up being a 25-year-old McCallum. 25 and you can argue, well, it's the age. I get it, but I'm 15-year-old McCallum will do just as good as yeah. As a, yeah, and this, this McAllen's really Black good. Yeah, and that that experience was really cool too, just because I've always been drinking Johnny, and for me, when I looked at whiskey, and even all my friends back in Florida that got me into drinking whiskey, they've always told me Johnny Blue was yeah, top the notch, yeah. the best, you know. But um, but when before I, we start getting people yelling at us, there's nothing wrong. With that <laughs> yeah, vibe, okay? I'm Johnny Johnny's good. <laughs> yeah, Johnny's really good. But when you do taste the difference and kind of understand what Pete was, which I didn't know. Um, it really, in my taste buds and my palate just kind of, I, I was like, what the hell is this my first glass of whiskey? <laughs> you know, but it tasted really good. It was really natural. And um, so I went from Johnny Black to Johnny Blue. They kind of tasted the same. And I tasted that peat. But when I drank that 25 year, that's when I tasted, it tasted more like barrel. You know, I, I, I felt like I could taste the actual, shoulders, you know. yeah, barrel. Whiskey's don't continue to age in the bottle once they're put in there. Right. Unlike wines, good great wines can continue to age in the bottle, so you can drink a 50-year-old bottle. So it wouldn't make sense for me to hold on to a 25-year for 25 more years? years. No, it's not going to age. <laughs> no. You may think so. Some people still argue that. Yeah. You know, but now it doesn't. It doesn't cool. keep maturing in the bottle. Yeah. So and that's the business talk today, folks. All we need to know about whiskey. <laughs> All we need to know about whiskey. That's why he's here. No, so um, you know, for for the viewers, obviously, you know, whiskey is just one of your expertise. You're you're well. You said you're not I'm an expert. I'm a novice. I'm a novice. I'm telling you guys, I drink it. You just drink it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Scotland, Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your what's your background? Well, as you mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur. Grew up here in El Paso. Born in El Paso. Um, and uh, started my own companies. Uh, at one point, I had up to five companies, some of them with partners, others uh, you know, the only partner. Um, my largest firm was a big, large security. It was a large security firm called CFI Security, which is a big, um, it was a big defense contracting company, but had multiple uh, departments inside of it, so we could handle everything from defense, medical, uh, industrial, commercial. The whole shebang. Federal, yeah. Down to even a residential group. So we covered everything. Eventually, I'd get acquired by a huge firm called Tyco, which is a large acquisition, especially with this region. So you want big corporations coming into El Paso. And when your smaller companies being bought by a big corporation, that shows the footprint and how far El Paso's gone. Because nobody goes to, you know, Oro Grande to buy a business because you don't even know it's there. Yeah. So the more big corporations that come in here, the more they notice, the more they want to come into El Paso, the more jobs that even if they're acquiring guys like me. So, um, along with that, commercial properties, uh, you know, I've owned a commercial property company with some friends of mine and later started my own residential companies and development companies. So, uh, started from that, you know, it's, uh, like I say, born and raised here. Came yeah. from nothing, created everything I have. So, it's about as simplified as I can make it. What age did you, did you start your first business or oh my first business um well my first business was a lawnmower business okay yeah we're gonna bore your whole audience at some point tune us out but our first business or mine was um mowing lawns i remember 
I lived next to Fort Bliss, and all the soldiers would get housing, but they hated to cut grass. Most of them would get deployed here and didn't have lawnmowers. So I thought, hey, wait, these guys have to cut their grass, or they're going to have trouble doing the PTA or yeah. doing workouts and stuff, and, or get written up. So I would go over there with one lawnmower and a weed eater, and I'd knock on the door and say, hey, you need to go on cut? Because yeah, how much? 15 bucks, run them back. This is like in the 80s, you know? Yeah. 80s. So were you cutting with scissors back then? Or you had a I had a lawnmower. <laughs> Boom, and I would start. And before I knew it, word of mouth, I would have like whole rolls on Fort Bliss. Back then, you could walk onto Fort Bliss. And there I was with my with my tools and everything. I didn't have a car, so I was rolling onto Fort Bliss through the gates. So I did security. I was just rolling in, you know? So back in the 80s, what would you say... Starting your business as, you know, that lawn mowing company, what would you say was the marketing or or how, what type of marketing did you have to do back in the 80s compared to nowadays? Well, there's no social media in the 80s. Right. You had a newspaper and that was probably it, unless you did a television ad. So it was word of mouth, uh, which really word of mouth gets you the best business. Yeah, It's a trusted business. So that's all I did. I would knock. I'd knock on a set. I'd knock on a Friday night, go knock on all the doors. And write down everybody who wanted a lawn cut, and I'd go back Saturday and cut them all, and then pay behind them. Before I knew it, I could do, I could only do like six a day, seven a day. You realize. And I had to hire neighborhood kids. Yeah. And then I went and bought more lawnmowers. Your childhood, like, what was that environment like? Did you always have money? Did you come from, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, you, you didn't have, and this was probably in the previous conversation that we had, but I know growing up, what you didn't always have, you know, everything. Um, so what was that like for you growing up? No, my father was a military, uh, was in the army, he was a sergeant, he served two tours of Vietnam, and I looked at his toll on him, so it's hard on the family at a young age. So, when my father was in Vietnam, I was a baby, one, two, three, year old baby, two times, and it stressed the family a lot. So, growing up, I really just had my mother, and that, we struggled a lot at that time. So no, I, I didn't come from money. Um, my path to success was probably a very difficult one. I mean, this is, um, you go through projects as a young kid, mm-hmm. um, growing up in different projects, uh, feeling what it's like to not have nothing. And then when you think you're poor, you didn't realize you could become poorer. And then one day you're sitting in the Salvation Army spending the night. And then you realize, can you get any worse than the Salvation yeah. Army? So yeah, that's my life. That's where I came from. So what? What inspired me to become successful? Well, doing that should be enough. Yeah. But it really wasn't. What inspired me to, be, to become an entrepreneur was just uh, just the family values that no matter how poor you get, your family keeps values in you and they keep instilling ideas and you got to keep, keep with them, keep treating them yourself. And that'll lift you out of any situation you're, at, you're in. So um, I would continue to go through high school and start college. And then after that, I would start working for people found that I wasn't good at that, you know, and yeah. started my own businesses again. I said, I used to do it as a young guy, why not do it again, you know? Yeah. Um, I've always had little businesses here and there up until I was 22. And then after that, I joined the workforce and realized, God, this is horrible. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you work hard for a penny, you know, and I decided it's like being broke again. So, I'm, you know, I can't do this anymore. So I started doing it. I had mentors along the way. Many people in this town, some very important, influential people here in this town today, um, who mentored me, who knew my plight, my story, and and they're 
my success also became a personal interest to them. So, yeah. you know, over the years, I won many awards, Small Businessman of the Year, uh, Entrepreneur of the Year, you know, just, I kept getting them. And it was really just following other people's advice. Yeah. Um, it's an old saying, but it's true. Um, success is not built on just what you what you do by yourself and how smart you are and uh, how well you uh, you sell or do whatever it is you're trying to create. Yeah. Success is sometimes built on just how smart the people you bring around you. Yeah. And take their advice. How, how smart that circle is, right? How smart the people right. that you're circling yourself with. That's exactly true. There's an old Mexican saying, another one that says, you want to know how you... You want to know the person you are, just look at the people around you. Yeah. And that'll tell you the kind of person you are. Yeah, definitely. And that's a true thing. I don't know how to say it in Spanish. Maybe you can tell me. I don't. I know in English it's pretty and much just how you said it. Well, I translated it for you, so most Spanish speakers translate it. Yeah, maybe we'll do a little <laughs> caption somewhere on in the Spanish, bottom. I know. Um, but uh, so how important do you think, you, know, you mentioned that you had some mentors that looked at your success and that was just as important for them to, to help you see that success through. So how important do you think it is for somebody that wants more in life, that wants, you know, to to change their mindset and maybe take that road down entrepreneurism or start that business? How important do you think it is to have those mentors in your circle, always around you and kind of, you know, put up that wall towards the other people that don't need to be in that circle? Well, that's a good question. I, I can tell you that I never took a step forward or a leap forward without consulting people, uh, whether my mentors or people in the industry I was looking into. Um, whether it was real estate, whether it was a security company, I always would call somebody in that like industry who I knew and said, okay, why are you successful? What did you do? And would you mind talking to me? they would. I remember before I started CFI Security, which was, again, it was a large acquisition. I sold it for an undisclosed amount of value, but it was huge. It's um, a lot of money. I will tell you that before I started, I was working for a company called um, Smith Alarm Systems, and this is when I finally, and they acquired Francis Security, and Francis Security acquired another company. So I went through acquisition, through acquisition, through acquisition, and finally said, I'm tired of acquisition. I just, I need a stable place. You know? Yeah. And although I was paid very well, you know, uh, I think at 25 years old, I was already making, you know, I was, I don't know, I think I was fishing about a quarter million a year at 25 back in the 90s, you know? Wow. So, working with this so they paid me well, but it wasn't enough for me, and I got tired of them being acquired. So, I talked to the guy who owned Francis Security and picked his brain about it, and he also was one of my mentors, and after we went through it, I, I knew I could do it. Um... I would then, he told me before you start business, why don't you go talk to the people you want to sell to? Get a foundation, get some reoccurring or residual income right off the bat and go see what you can do so that you don't have such a hard... Yeah, start researching. A learning curve and such a hard, so much debt in the beginning. So I did. I went to the Department of Defense, figure out what contracts to go out. I went to security directors for every hospital in town to see what contracts were going out and would they put their trust in me if I started a company. I already had a good name in this town with many of the, because uh, I've been in the security industry for a while, so right. I wanted to go to them and say, hey, look, I'm starting my own company. Would you put your faith in me like you have for the last five, six years? Absolutely, John. So I went down getting handshakes. That's all I asked for. Just a handshake that you will do business face with me. I'm not, I'm not saying 
give me your contract or give me this this uh, camera system or access Joseph I'm saying if I start a company would you give me an opportunity at your business mm-hmm. absolutely John on a handshake that meant to me that I had door open but two I had kind of a little guarantee so when I did come back they remember that handshake and they were like yeah well I got this let me throw you some bones yeah. bones would eventually become multi-million dollar contracts I must have did that with what do people, I wrote a list down, just like on your little pad here, I wrote a list of all the influencers in this town and went to them, checked off everybody who gave me a handshake. The minute I started CFI, I went back to everyone down the list, the same order, and I think my first year of business, I had a million dollars worth of contracts. That's how quick it was, because I did my work. I didn't just jump in. Yeah. I talked to people. I helped everybody. What I did is I enlisted everybody to help start my business with me. And that's what people don't always do. Yeah. They and you built that rapport over over time of, of them dealing with you and, and you helping them. That just went a longer way, right, when you started your business and, yeah. and, and built that trust. You made a good foundation to start with. Yeah. And then you start other companies that you don't have that foundation. So then you really got to go pick the brains of guys who have already walked those, those steps before you. And then how do you take the advice that they give you? and then uh, utilize it to make a successful decision, a good decision. To this day, I still don't make decisions, big decisions without talking to some of my mentors. And they've been there, done that. So, big mentorship and talking businessmen who are in the like industry, or or businesswomen, obviously, in the like industry, saves a lot of stress unnecessary. Yeah. And you're learning from somebody else's mistakes too, right? You're... You know, You're the best thing about entrepreneurs, they want you to be successful too. Exactly. So, uh, advice is free. Uh, take it with a grain of salt because you're not as aggressive as I am or vice versa. You may not, you should have gone left and to the right. It's always, there's always yeah. things you should be concerned with. But at the end of the day, take advice with a grain of salt and then fill it in for yourself. Cool to know who you are. You know, I, I, I gave a speech you. once for the, uh, the SBA award out of four states. I won the Small Businessman of the Year. So there was this huge thing, and I had to give a big speech amongst hundreds and hundreds of small businessmen and women. And I kind of gave that story. My father just died, like two months before that. So I, I kept, because I was real close to my father, I kept tearing up and choking up, you know, because I kept looking up, you know, uh, wanting him to be there and telling him, you know, Dad, I wish you were here, because he was my biggest fan. Yeah. My dad was not. He didn't instill business in me any of that, but what my dad's instilled in me was strength and, and love. You know? Yeah. You need that too. You yeah, those are big qualities. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You can't just be business, all business. You have to have all those other extra. But it adds to that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a very artsy type of shopping center or area. Yeah, well, that's what Richard is doing. He's creating shops and restaurants and he's building all new stuff and he's opening up a Marriott with pools down there. He brought Top Golf in. So that whole area is going to be a huge community in town. Yeah. He's going to even have golf carts. Oh, that's so. awesome. So, a lot of your, obviously, a lot of your network, you have a different network than I do. You know, the audience that we're uh, talking to right now, you know, um, not everybody, a big majority of the people aren't investors. Um, Maybe a lot of them don't even own real estate yet, um, but this is, uh, you know, this this podcast is good because I know you have a, no- a lot of knowledge when it comes down to real estate and investing um, and making smart decisions instead of impulsive decisions or emotional decisions. Right. Um, so, so kind of switching gears a little bit. 
um, you know, talking about real estate now, uh, uh, obviously we touched a little bit about your story, um, entrepreneurship and a little bit about your businesses and things like that. So now switching it to real estate, you know, um, for the people watching, why do you think it's smart for somebody to invest in real estate, first of all? Well, I, overall, doing investments with your money is smart, okay? I mean, putting your money in a bank account, earning no interest, is a, it can be one of the most foolish things, especially when you have a lot of money. Um, once you start getting up there, 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000, and you're just letting it sit there in your bank account, it's earning zero. Your money should always be working for you. And at some point, you need to have a mindset that anything you buy should be an investment. Yeah. Anything you buy. You don't see me driving a $200,000 Ferrari. Why? Because it continues to depreciate. Exactly. But will I invest on a classic car, a 1960 those, or 1971 yeah, those, Cuda with a Hemi? Heck yeah. Yes, because when I bought it, the value, it continues to appreciate regularly. So mm -hmm. now it's a vet investment I can enjoy versus the stock market or bonds yeah. or whatever. The so, older those classics get, the better. For well, they, they continue to appreciate. Yeah. They don't depreciate. And you can instantly sell them. Um, I have some that are appreciated 30 40%. That's more money than you can in stock markets or even, or even in uh, uh, real estate. So right. everything you buy at a certain period, you have to start looking at as an investment. Um, and that's one of the lessons that young people uh, fail to do. They, they tend to, and I was there. You want the nicer car, you want the cooler house, you want the nicest clothes. And all you're doing is you're spending that money you're bringing in and making nothing from it because right. those aren't investments. Um, your house where you live in, yeah, you can say it's investments, you get a loan against, but it's not making you money, you're paying into it. Investment makes you money while you have it. Yeah. Um, and that was one of, that was probably one of the biggest lessons I've ever gotten from you. Um, you know, meeting you and working with you, you know, we've, we worked on a couple deals together. Um, and when we did talk, you know, you, you kind of brought that up to me. And that was something that was very new to me as a newer real estate agent. You know, it was my first year, just finished my first year. And when you did mention, you know, one of the worst or maybe one of the less smartest decisions you can make is buying a house if you're looking to buy an investment property. Um, and you kind of broke down the difference on investment properties, just like what you said, an investment property makes you money in that in that term, not just at the end, not it, just 10 years from now when you sell it. Right. So to, I, to rephrase what you said, I would... Buying a home for yourself is a good investment regardless because it's your home. Right. And as long as you own it and you're paying into it versus a buying, renting an apartment, it's an investment. The thing is, it's not going to make you money. You're paying into it. But maybe someday you'll rent it out and go to the next one. It's just not the smartest investment to buy a single home to look to rent it out later. Yeah. Because that's... that's if you're looking for income... That's not going to work. So It's not going to work. But it's a good investment as far as renting because when you're renting, you... And I shouldn't say this because I own rental properties all over town, but still, we're all at different positions and stages of, in our life. So right. renting and buying are two different aspects and, and two different phases in our life. But for now, if you have the money and you can buy a home, then buy a home versus renting. But if you want to start early making investments and, and being smart with your money, as a 25-year-old guy, I didn't know what I wanted. If I had... If I bought a house at 25, it's not going to be the house I end up with on 50. 
Right. My tastes change. My lifestyles change. Who I am as a person changes. So buying a house that young was really dumb. So I'm not saying it was dumb for me. I'm not saying it's dumb for anybody else. What I should have done is bought it like a, a multifamily home, a duplex or a quad, um, and lived on one side for about two, three years, and bought the next one, lived on one side for two, three years. Because right now they're make, they would be making money, and they'd be paid off, all of them by now. Right. Instead, you're trying to sell a house that just got uglier and got uglier, got older. Yeah, and you're going to have to you could afford, you know, Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, and the commercial properties can appreciate better. Um, so to clarify what you said, I, I think what I told you is don't buy your first home. Buy your first income property. Right. Move into one of the spots that one tenant pay your note, the other two tenants put money in your back pocket. Definitely. And then if you continue on that path, because uh, if your return on investment, what we call ROI, is, is a good percentage, then you're building money in your bank account. You're building more liquidity. And at that point, you'll develop more money to save. And now you're next for your net. You're ready for your next property. And then boom, you buy one two, three years later. Because you're saving with it, you're working, plus you're also making money, and boom, your next one comes in. Right. So you can buy one every few years. And after you buy one every few years, by the time 20 years goes by, the 20-year notes, you own, I don't know, 50 units, which is 50 apartments. And you're semi-retired, and you're, you're living life great because they're all paid off. And now you're making 200000 300000 a year net profit in your back pocket. So and that has nothing to do with the value of the properties. The value of the properties would be four or five million. So if you want right. to throw them on the market, I mean, you just and, and and it was never your money that paid for those apartments. It was always the people who you rented to. Right. So you're saying four or five million. Well, what did you put in? Nothing. Why did I put anything in? Because your ROI was so high, your return was within two and a half years. So you got your money back. And the remaining seventeen and a half years was pure profit. And that's insane, especially for people that kind of don't understand that. You know, some somebody that is completely new to real estate investing, what what does that mean for for the bank? Because we're we're talking buying a property every two years. Now, when you do have an income generating property, what does a bank look at that like? Well, the banks look at okay, if you're if you're an existing investor, remember I'm not an agent, a real estate agent, I'm an investor. Right. Uh, and I became an investor just by selling some of my companies, um, and also properties I bought during that during that period. But banks consider the cap rate of a building. Cap rate means, with all things considered, uh, how much can that building return you on investment or give you a return on investment? How much money is that building? Is how much money can that building provide to you? And plus, what's it worth? So they're looking mm-hmm. for a cap rate. Um, once they know that cap rate, they can get a value of that building and what they think you should be paying down on it. But the risk lessens the more apartments you own. See, if you own one house, then the only the only asset you have is that house, unless you're very liquid. Liquid meaning when someone speaks about liquidity, they speak about cash, hard yeah. cash. At the end of the day, hard cash is really the most important thing um, because that's your buying power, your strength. Um, so... When um, the bank looks at you and they want to give you a loan for the next income property, they start looking at at some point at the number of units you have because you're less risk when you have apartments spread out amongst multiple locations. Right. So once you start getting about 10, 15 units, they're saying, oh, well, that, it's not one, no longer one apartment or, or sorry, one house. It's now 15 units. 
bringing in income. Bringing in income. So now you're less risk because if you think about it, if you have a quadruplex with four or a triplex with three, if you don't rent one, the other two are still going to pay the note. One can pay exactly. the note. The other two, but if you have one house. And you don't have a renter. you don't have a renter. As it is, just owning a house and, and paying, having somebody rent it, you barely break even if you can even break even. Right. And you're on that note for 20 or 30 years and you're barely breaking even. Most of the guys that know who own homes aren't breaking even. And when they don't rent them, they're paying. But when yeah. you go to a triplex or a quad or even a duplex, you're not paying ever out of your pocket unless the whole building's empty. Yeah. So the bank knows this. So they're looking at overall how many units do you have? And then they, they consider that a risk. If you have 20 units, but you're 70% occupied, they're right. looking at each building, look at the units, and you're 70% occupied, that's a good, it's a good client. Yeah, because they're still seeing that income coming in. Good client, going to give you a lower interest rate, right. turn around and um, give you the loan. So you have to start that way when it comes to income properties. You have to start, to, in my opinion, multi-tenant versus single. There's a, there's, I think real estate agents are trained to buy a home and rent it. Buy homes, rent it. Every yes. real estate agent I ever talked to tells me, buy a house and rent it. And I'm thinking, why? Right. Because you never make money until it's paid off. Exactly. But why not buy a triplex? Because I bought a triplex for $165,000. Each unit rents for $750. In fact, I break it all down. So, <laughs> and it, so that's almost twenty three hundred dollars a month I make on that property. Right, and that's all income. That's pure income. Now, I once I remove my debt services, insurance, all operating the NOI expenses, stuff, yeah, yeah, net operating expenses, I'm left with making about a thousand dollars in my back pocket. But the point is, a thousand dollars a month. But the it's point 12, is, a year. twelve thousand a year. The point is, if I bought a house for one hundred sixty thousand to rent it out for a thousand dollars a month, which is what you're going to get, twelve, you're going to make you're getting hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah, yeah, definitely hundred dollars a square foot. So if the house is sixteen hundred. You're buying it about a hundred dollars a square foot these days. So a sixteen hundred square foot home is going to cost you almost sixteen hundred, one hundred sixty thousand, which means you're only going to rent it for max a hundred dollars a square foot at six yeah right now a, a house that's 160 at on today's interest rates uh you know 4.6 what are we at four four and a half a little yeah. over than that um you know uh, at 160 you're looking at close to 300 i mean 1300 right now you know 1300 a month the so debt service yeah and good luck renting that well because, you're gonna rent for a hundred dollars a square foot so right you're renting for 1600 which means you're making 300 oh but we got the insurance to pay and the taxes to pay, unless the taxes are included in that figure. So you're breaking even. Right. Take that same take that take that same, same dollar amount you were right. able to buy a triplex for one sixty. And now the the note payment of thirteen hundred is still thirteen hundred. Right. But now you're making You're still financing the same amount. Same value. And and just breaking that down for you guys, I mean to break it down as, as simple as we can, if you're going to buy a, a house, there's nothing wrong with buying a house. That's still an investment. It's better than renting. Obviously. Yeah, it's definitely better than renting, throwing away your it's money. It's an asset and right. you're investing in yourself. Definitely. And I mean, every time you're making that payment, it's going right into your mortgage. You know, So in time, five, ten years that you do want to sell that house, you're going to have some equity built up. Um, I think the idea is if you're younger, you want to start looking at investment property as a future. Right. Versus trying to buy a house for the first time and then, okay, now what do I do? I own this. I'm now debt poor on a house because – Exactly. And you don't the, have – there's the no saying room. called house poor. Um, yeah. Versus you start now. Now, if you're older, late 40s, you, I mean you can start doing it then. But chances are a guy 
my age isn't going to want to shoot in and live with four other tenants in a, right. a quadruplex. No, by now, forget it. I'm past that. I'll just buy a house and I'll do other forms of investment. Right. But if you start young, and these are the tips they don't give you when you're, you don't get when you're young. But you also need capital. Let's right. You do need some form of capital. But that's why you don't spend your money on frivolous things. That's why you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be the best dressed. You don't have to have the nicest car. Right. All you need is a, be, you know, speak with a firm right, voice right. and have. And humble down, I think, too. You know, you don't have to have all the fancy stuff. And people look at you the same way. Right, right. Yeah, and, I, and I've and i noticed that, too. Like, I actually don't – I don't know if you've ever seen this because I, I know we've had a lot of lunches and things. I never wear, dress is very nice, by the way. I'm just I don't wear button-ups. <laughs> and I get good. so much shit from realtors, all the realtors that, yeah, that dress in button-ups and, and the ties and everything. They're like, bro, you're, you know, you're slacking. First of all, it's getting hot. I'm not gonna. I'm not just gonna sweat my ass off, you know. I'm driving around all day. I'd rather be comfortable and be still presentable in, in some way. So you know, it's some nice linen jeans for I'd now. Be in jeans, cowboy boots, and a, this is it. Yeah. I'm in jeans, cowboy boots at Solomon. This is how I would sell. Yeah. I even wear a cowboy. I was a bull rider at one point too. Really? Yeah. I remember you mentioned that. Yeah, I think. back in the yeah. day. See, I, I was a bull rider. Yeah, That's insane. Rode the circuit too. Another little tidbit. John, so kind of going back to our last question, um, what what in your eyes makes a good deal? What is a good deal um, to you? And we did finish one about how to make. Okay, yeah, we did. Sorry. Um, what makes a good deal? All right. Assuming we all the other checks have been done, we have enough money saved up to make. Yeah, we have enough money for our down payment. You know, now we're ready to to put our down payment down. We got twenty five percent. Let's go back to. Well, let's talk about your deal. Uh, in case we mentioned earlier, Manny had brought a deal to me, and um, the deal was they want three hundred thousand, which they never get three hundred thousand. You negotiate mm-hmm. with them, and this uh, especially with me as the real estate agent, right? So we <laughs> negotiate them down, and as an investor, right, your goal is to beat the number down as much as you can because it's all about the ROI. So um, if the ROI is no good, there's no reason to do it, right? Um, some people will tell you, well, the NOI is good. I don't care about the NOI. The NOI is just net operating expenses. So when you talk about the net operating expense, you're talking about you know, uh, the cost to operate the building, the insurances, the taxes, right. every cost associated with that property. Right. Utilities, if there's water. If, if the owner pays for a utility. Right. You know, all this stuff I used to write down on paper and go through and I got tired of it and then one day I go well shit I'm an engineer and then I have family members my sons who are physicists and doctors and stuff I'm like why don't I just start using them so a while back I created a a, a spreadsheet I don't know if you can see that and like these are properties on the left hand side and then it starts with the titles let me blow that up so the properties start here on the left hand side let's say I I own some of these properties too Um, let's take this one on Thorn it gives you a little description on it, how so many that's units. It's a quadplex. It's a quad. It has how many bedrooms and bathrooms. Keep going. And it's uh, proposed rents. So this tells you the gross income. If you look at this particular number one here, the gross income was 38400 Right. That's year to date. That's that's proposed rent. So let's say. That's proposed rent. So if all units were rented yearly, it should make me 38400 on a fourplex, right? Right. Which means thirty-two thousand a month I should make, right? And if you keep going down, all right. So that's gross income. 
You have gross income. How much can this potential income property make me? In this case, it makes up to $30,400. Monthly, it's $32,000. All right, now that I know how much it makes, now let's do the deductions from what it makes. Because obviously, right. if something makes you $100 a month, but it costs you $100 a month, run for the mountains. You don't right, want to right, get away right. from that deal, right? And you got to be true to these investments too. When you find them, you don't want to sugarcoat anything to make it sound better just so that you don't want to get emotions involved. Numbers are numbers. Black and white is black, black and white. Black and right? white with investment properties. There's no there's no gray areas. Now you can look at investment property and see I can put this much work and make a little bit more money. But at the end of the day, numbers are numbers, right? So we'll talk about this a little bit more again. So we know this is a fourplex. This is a, one of my fourplexes on Thorn. It has four bedrooms, three baths. I'm sorry, three bedrooms, two baths. It has a gross income of thirty-eight thousand four hundred. Monthly thirty-two hundred. All right, now we know the total gross. Now let's take deductions off of it. So deductions start off at seventy thousand or taxes of seven thousand ninety-one. Sorry, my. And that's your year-to-date taxes, right? So that's the year. That's the year. That's how much I'm expected to pay, and that's a true number. That's actually what I pay. Oh, low battery. Um, which monthly? I break the monthly down so you can have a monthly value because I have total numbers here. Uh, estimated operating expenses. This is lawn care, refrigeration care, things I know I have to fix out there. It's a quadruplex. They don't cost me a lot, so I estimated a thousand dollars. In this case, it was about eleven hundred dollars last year, but it's still close enough for this for this spreadsheet on calculating. Well, I'm going to make a good investment, right? So, so you're 11, looking at about $83 a month, 85 bucks a yeah, month. Yeah, 1000 for this one. Now insurance on this property, insurance is important. You have to have uh, commercial insurance for this. What, what would insurance help you with? If, well, if somebody a, hurts themselves, if the place catches a fire, a liability, you know. Right. In this case, it's 1335 a month. I mean, a year for 112 a month. So... Net operating expenses, what I do is I then take the total of 38400 for gross income and I start subtracting all the costs associated. You notice the debt service isn't here, right? Yeah. Because debt service is not part of an operating expense. That's a loan. Because if I bought the building in cash, would I have a debt service? No. Now? You wouldn't have a note. So this is really just the hard cost of that property. When I subtract, when I add these all up and I subtract it with 38400 I come up with... Twenty-eight thousand nine hundred and seventy-three. I didn't get a manicure, so my nails are kind of. <laughs> I've been already pointed that out earlier. So your NOI net operating expense is about twenty-eight thousand nine hundred seventy-three, which equals cash, which is about a ten percent, ten point two one percent. So that's not bad, but you know, you can always make a little bit of money on the NOI. It just depends on what we're doing on the note value. Right. So and note, we mean mortgage. So when you guys are financing. Your first investment property, um, if you're not paying cash, there's obviously going to be a mortgage note. So now that we've gotten, you know, how much rent this is going to give us a year, and we've gotten the deductions, uh, the uh, you know, the interest, the taxes, the insurance, uh, we've subtracted all that. We're left with this number, twenty-eight thousand nine hundred and seventy-three. So what we're going to do now, we've turned that into percentage because investors like percentages. That becomes a ten percent NOI investment. Okay. With a dollar value associated with twenty-eight thousand. Now I look at the price the owner wanted. He wanted three hundred forty-two thousand for this property. I that was too much. I'm not going to pay that. Mm -hmm. I paid two hundred eighty-three thousand for this property, right? So two hundred eighty-three thousand. I also count. 
I also calculate a cap rate with a nine, well, an estimated 9% cap rate with this, with vacancy. What I do here is I try and give me a value at the bank would offer me for this property. So I take all the costs, I take all the potential income, I take everything associated with the property and I come up with a cap rate. Right. Banks need cap rates themselves to determine what the value of a property is as an income property. Mm -hmm. So I have a formula that creates it for me also. Um, in this case, the bank, they wanted 342, I paid 23, the bank said, in my opinion, the bank is going to offer me 292 for this, or they're going to value this property at 292. So this is most likely what they would see value. Right, and they, the bank actually it's... came back at about 300,000. Right. So what does that mean? If I pay 23, but the bank has it valued at 300. Instant equity. Instant One. equity. Well, that's that's the, that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's an amazing number. To that's have. always an amazing deal, especially if you're buying a house, an investment property, anything you are buying. In equity is a magic word that you want. Instant equity is even better. Yeah. <laughs> so I have it at 292. The bank ended up doing that at 300. Estimated down payment. Well, if I pay 283 at 20%, that's 56,000. Right. Right. That's your so down that's payment. what I paid down. This is your the estimated loan payment was 1400. 1400 a month. Now let's. That's the truth. That's what I'm actually paying against that note. Now let's go back. That's my note, right? So that's what I'm paying a month. Right. Let's go back to when I'm making a month, $3,200 a month. So you're making $3,200 a month. And then I subtract well, your debt services. Actually, it's going to be that. So, so break that down, 28 So that's uh, per 32, year. 32 it's about 3000 off. Yeah. 28 so 3000 So at the end of the day... I break it all down. I'm making almost twelve thousand a month on this a year on that property. Twelve thousand a year. It's an eighty percent ROI. Now, if you look down, I got higher ROI. That's my lowest ROI, except for this one here. But I didn't buy it. That's why it's there. But see all these? I own these these five buildings here on this spreadsheet. Right. Eighteen percent, twenty-four. I always wanted the twenties. Twenty-four, twenty-four, twenty. Why did I buy this one here? Because it's in a high traffic area. Right. So I was willing to good risk. location. Good location means I'll always have it rented versus another location that has a higher ROI, but maybe it's hidden in the back. Exactly. And might not get an, not, may have a single unit empty longer than a, than a location. That was a great bid uh, purchase because that place is always rented because it has so much traffic. So what's your occupancy right now? 100%. 100%. So it was a good gamble. It's always occupied. So this one makes me 11740 So that's almost $12,000 right there. A year. Right? Yeah. Yes. How how soon are you making your investment back? You dropped fifty six. Well, the ROI is eighteen percent on this one. Right. Not like the one you were showing at thirty. So when the lower the ROI, like these are faster, but the lower the ROI, this one's eighteen percent at twelve thousand. So basically, this one, if my investment is fifty six thousand, take about five years. Fifty six. No, I'll take less than that. It'll probably. Well, yeah, probably about five years. Yeah. It'll take about five years. years. Yeah. So after five years, remaining fifteen years of proof profit. I, that's a lower eye. I took a yeah. gamble on that. So and especially on a twenty-year note, after you got fifteen years of profit, right, right. But you have these others that are higher. They're running at twenty-four, twenty-five. I got some properties made me twenty-five thousand a year. That's insane. At twenty-four percent. So you just got to have one that's paying me thirty-six thousand a year right now. And even at that, I mean, somebody that is working, and I own that five, one. <laughs> the thirty-six thousand. Yeah. So somebody that is working a nine to five, I mean, what would an extra $12,000 a year mean? You know, how long well, would it take you? It, uh, hopefully it means they're going to buy their next property. Right. They're not buying brand new cars and houses. Yeah, exactly.
Let's switch your cameras. Yeah, what so, else? so for you guys that are just joining us, we're here live on Facebook. Was this a live feed now? Yeah, we're here live on Facebook. Uh, we're recording episode number three, Whiskey Wednesday podcast session. I have my good friend, investor, developer, entrepreneur here, John, and he's dropping some knowledge um, you know, for us on this podcast session. We're talking about investing right now. Um, and you know, some of the, the things that we're talking about, you know, uh, a lot of you first time investors, especially people, I'm fixing my hair. That was my first oh, reaction. Know, hair time. <laughs> that was my first reaction. But, um, you know, those people that are thinking about, oh, it's on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. Do a quick swipe through. <laughs> Do a quick swipe. Um, so we're talking investing right now, you know, John is a business owner, entrepreneur, uh, developer, investor, very successful, has a, a lot of knowledge for us. This podcast, you know, we've been going for about 45 minutes now. Approximately. Yeah. Appro approximately. We've drinking a couple of glasses of some fine wine. Today we're drinking uh, some oh, um, fine wine. <laughs> so, that's how many scotches. <laughs> this is actually only my second one, so not too, too fat. But um, we're breaking down right now, um, you know, what what a good investment property looks like and the difference between investment properties, what makes an investment property an investment property. Um, so, you know, if you guys do have any questions about investing or purchasing a property here in El Paso, um, go ahead and drop your comment here and John will be answering them. We're going to go sure. ahead and continue with our podcast. We'll be answering questions as they come. I'm going to hand my phone back over to Sosa, the man behind the camera, <laughs> and uh, he's going to go ahead and hold on to that. So right now we were kind of just breaking down uh, one of the properties that you just bought, uh, kind of breaking down what actually makes a good deal a good deal in your eyes, right? So kind of going, switching gears a little bit, what, what would you say as an investor, what are some things that keep you away from deals? What, what are some things that you kind of stay away from? when deals are presented to you? <clears throat> well, as we've discussed, we've been going through this. Let me get this off. We've been going through this, and I guess those of you joining us live, you are not you missed the whole portion on how we go from NOI to ROI. Mm -hmm. How do you make a, a good decision on a property that's making a good return on your investment, and how long it would take you to get that return on investment? So um, how do I stay away from bad deals? Well, it's black and white. The numbers yeah. don't lie. So. If your return on investment is almost as long as a note, why buy it? If the return on investment is so far out that you can't get your money back within a fair period of time, and I think if you can't get your money back within five years max, it's too long already. Right. Um, and what does that mean? Let's say if you're buying a $100,000 property, you have to put $25,000 down. Before you get that $25,000 back, remember, it's not the 100000 that's the investment. Yeah. It's the twenty five thousand. You're not you dropping one hundred thousand. You're financing financing eighty, uh, 80 to seventy five percent of value, that. Yeah. So you're only it's the twenty five thousand you have to get back with the twenty thousand. Depending on what you know it is, that's what you look for. How long does it take you to get that investment? Right. Return on investment. So most of my properties will get it back for you in about three years. Amazing. Because then after that they're making seventeen years as pure profit. Right. So if I'm making. $15,000 a year on an income property, which is just over you know, 1100 a month um, in my back pocket, after the 17th, after the third year, all that money now goes into it's my pocket profit. every month. Right. Yeah. So now I'm getting Every back. first of the month, you're collecting right. profit. After notes, debt services, everything. Right. Uh, it's all straight cash. So um, 
that's the business of making money when it comes to rental properties. And then after that, you go to your next property, buy another one. So at some point, you're making $50,000 a month in your income yeah. from all your properties. And they've already been paid off. Your return investment was the three years. Um, in some cases, you show me one that's just over two and a half. I mean, that's a good opportunity. Yeah. So um, in a nutshell, you stay away from properties that the return investment is too far out. And how much money you're making. Look for an ROI, return on investment, that um, for me, I look for them in the 20s. Um, some people are don't need it that quick. Right. Because a 20% ROI is kind of like that's how much money you're making on your money. Yeah. Um, Which is a good down, interest rate, right? I mean, well, once you get down to 7%, 8%, 9%, some people live with it. Well, that's investment values. I mean, right. gosh, I could put money into my, you know, retirement plan and make about that in my yeah. aggressive CD and it's safe yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I mean why bother <laughs> so um, at this point once you're down that low why go through all that work just throw it in an investment with an investor uh, versus doing income properties right yeah so you know breaking down what makes a good deal what kind of deals you stay away from I guess the biggest takeaway is basically you know investment properties are black and white it, and it comes down to numbers um, obviously, if you're buying a house, a single residence for you and your family, this isn't, you know, really what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, buy an investment property for that purpose of having an investment every single month. Those are some of the key things that you guys want to look for. Obviously, you know, it's it it takes a lot of skill and a lot of time and a lot of research to know all these things, to know the terms, to know what to look for. And I know we're kind of just touching on the iceberg or the, the tip of the iceberg on on these things, you know. So if you do have any questions, obviously drop them down here um, and, you know, we'll go ahead and answer them for you. But obviously one thing I think that is important is finding somebody that's also knowledgeable in helping you, especially if you are a first time, uh, you know, investor. Tell me about your first deal. How was that? Well, let's see. Like commercial, I'll go with. Uh, first real estate commercial yeah. properties, but okay. uh, but I guess apartments are commercial too. But I think my first deal was not my favorite. Um, the numbers added up, but what I didn't pay attention to was location. So even if you get a, if everything on paper, black and white, looks good, what I failed to realize, which I know now, is location. Uh, they always say location, location. Mm -hmm. It's true because if no one knows you exist, if nobody sees that property, let's say let's take busy street here. Let's say Montana. If you own a property on Montana that has a parent sign, how much traffic are you getting in front of that street? Or Mesa, tons. Right. Or then you go off a, a shoot off a street off of Montana like Cottons, tons of traffic. But let's say you got a street like off of St. John's, a fourplex. Where's St. John's? I don't know, but I know there's a St. Yeah, John's I don't know because I know a guy who owns a property on St. John's. <laughs> yeah. where the hell is, I don't know. So, um, I had a property I couldn't rent it. It just sat there and sat there and sat. I did everything. I asked friends for tips and I, I could not rent it. And it was just location. People it was didn't location. Watch it was a pretty area. place. It was nice. It was it was great. Um, so it I, it sat vacant for eight months. So I had to eat that note for eight months. Wow. So that was my biggest mistake: is not learning location. Another answer is: Did I sell the property? No, I kept it because I'm an optimist. <laughs> because I knew Fort Bliss was coming, bringing in more soldiers. So what? And then Fort Bliss is. So I I, I, I I rented it to a soldier just by chance because I put it on a Craigslist. He rented it. He told other soldiers, so now it's all rented. So I held on to it because I knew it was a good opportunity. I knew the ROI was high. It's one of the ones we looked at. 
and um, uh, I'm happy today to say it's all rented, <laughs> but I learned my lesson. Yeah. You've got to, if you're going to own rental properties that are not homes, homes, it doesn't matter. I mean, if, you, if you're going to be one of those people who own homes, fine. If you want to own 20 homes, it doesn't matter. You just put them out and people want to rent homes. But if you're going to do apartments, uh, quads, duplexes, triplexes, sixplexes, eightplexes, tenplexes, um, location means something. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, uh, shopping for a quadruplex or a small apartment complex where there's a ton of saturation already, that's another don't do it because um, there's a bunch of guys trying to sell all their quads right now on the east side, but it's in a saturated area where there's like 40 quads. And use and one of those big signs, and I know we've seen it too, going to different properties. We'll yeah. go to a property, you look across the street, and you look in every which direction, and you see for rent signs, for rent signs, for rent signs. They can't rent them, so why yeah. would I buy something that people can't rent? You show me a property that's a hundred percent rented. Right. That says a lot. That means people want to be there. And it was actually one unit that was vacant yesterday. They and called me today. Too. It's rented. So that does say something about location, especially pricing and, and all that stuff. So definitely, you know, uh, one big takeaway. And you touched on your biggest mistake, and, and that was one of them. Is, the biggest is mistake is not understanding location better than I should. But I was early on. Now it's all about it. I'm looking for places that ha have higher traffic areas. Yeah. So when you show them to me or when you bring me a deal or anybody, I always going to ask how, how busy are the streets around there. Yeah. Um, uh, because it makes a big difference. I recently uh, purchased a property. I say recently, it was like six months ago. The, the, the builder was going bankrupt. I took it over and I finished it for him, which is another thing. If you have liquidity, you can buy places from guys going bankrupt or guys or, or builders who, are, who run out of money and you can take it off their hands for pennies on the dollar, um, as long as you can cut a check for that amount. Right. Um, but you get the property with that famous... A great word of instant equity. In this case, the property is probably worth about eight hundred and fifty thousand, but I only paid five hundred and thirty, so I have a three hundred and twenty thousand yeah, dollars equity, instant right. equity. So uh, those are great deals. Um, we have a question: um, What kind of properties here in El Paso have the highest ROI in your experience? And who's that from? This is uh, Matthew. The highest ROI. You know, there's there's different. Um, Philosophies. The more the units, the higher the ROI, honestly. That's really the truth. So you guys who own these giant apartment complexes that may have 200 units, 200 apartments, like they're building up here in Montecillo, those have the highest ROI, okay? Mm -hmm. But it's it's that's not an investment you're going to do. You're not going to come up with two, $3 million to do that. So let's bring it back down to maybe someone who can afford a $200,000 or $150,000 investment. My rule of thumb, and I think I've told you this, Manny, never buy smaller than a what? A triplex. Right. Never buy smaller than a triplex because a duplex costs too much and there's only two four sources of income. Especially if you're going to be one of those guys who start off young and buy a duplex, move into one, and then eventually move it's, out it's to the, the next one. It's the same concept as buying a house because if that person's not rented, then you're covering the whole You're thing. covering the thing. Right. Where a triplex, you can, you can have it, you know, only one tenant in there and they're still paying the note or the debt services versus or fully loaded so I say don't buy nothing less than a triplex if you're gonna buy anything if you're gonna be doing a return uh, if you're gonna do an investment property um, try start a triplex now the ROI is all dependent on how much you pay for it and what the NOI is what the net operating expenses are so they all kind of go together 
So knowing that, the lower the NOI, the lower the price, the higher the, the, the income, the gross income, that's going to get your ROI. So when you calculate it, um, look for something that pays you. Instead of looking for the best paying ROI, look for something that has an ROI in the 20s. And that's going to be your best opportunity. So don't turn down a deal just because it's not the best. Because you're not going to get the guys in the 30s like you just came to. You're going to get guys mainly in the 12s and 13s and 14s. Right. And then you'll happen to come across the 20 ROIs. So that's what you want to look for versus looking for the lowest. So I hope that answers it. So Matthew, hopefully that answered your question. And Matthew is actually a 17-year-old high school student that is going to be getting into real estate. Oh, nice. So. Uh, Matthew, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Um, you know, we're talking about investment properties for you guys that are just joining in. And for those of you that are listening right now on our podcast, um, if you guys do have any questions, go ahead and drop them. But um, we're here with John and he's answering and dropping some knowledge. Um, so, John, you know, we've talked a little bit about entrepreneurship. We talked a little bit about investing. We talked a little bit about what deals to look for, what what you kind of stay away from, you know, some of your biggest mistakes um what prod you are a developer as well right well I, we started branching off in development because um people started bringing us raw land and um with the raw land honestly development has some of the highest returns in it i wish i had done it sooner so there's huge developers in this town um and a huge apartment owners huge builders i get all that so we all have our niche we all have our little area we stay in but yes we started developing uh and in that, what we're doing is we're taking raw land, and we take that raw land and, like the term says, develop it. We put all the utilities. So let's say you get five acres of land. You take those five acres of land, and you break them up into lots for a house. And then when you break them up, you supply the utilities, water, gas, electric. And then you turn around and bring the curb services, the streets. Everything's done. Yeah. So that all you do is sell that finished land to a builder who then builds a house on it or a commercial builder who wants to build a duplex on it. Um, what's great about developing land is that you have very little uh, risk to it. There's some risk, but you have very little because you can develop a piece of property for $5,000, but then turn around and sell it for $35,000. Right. So your return is 10, it's not 10, that's like five times your initial investment. That's one of the highest returns. Yeah. And that's why developing is so profitable. Yeah. The, deal, the, the issue is finding good deals on the land. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, land is obviously something that they're not making anymore, and that's why, you know, their money is in land. So what what kind of projects are you currently working on right now? I know you're, you're a developer. I know some of the projects that you're you're uh, working on right now. What projects do you want to share with uh, the people? Well, the, right now we're working on um, one of, that you actually brought to me, some land we're doing, some about 40 units in Horizon, 40 land units. We're developing them. We're getting them rezoned for, I, I think, R4, which allows us to build um, duplexes on them. That way, we can either decide to make them all for duplexes, a commercial building, go in there and build all duplexes, which means I'll get a higher return on the land, or we just put houses into them. Mm -hmm. And um, we can sell them to one builder who wants to buy the lots from individual builders and, and just create covenants as the value installed of the house. Yeah, so, so kind of talking a little bit about you know, that deal, you know, this is a good opportunity, especially for, you know, first time investors, people that are thinking about investing. Um, you know, we're waiting right now on the city, right, to see if we can. Build well, we up. have a meeting coming up, I think on the 14th or 15th. Um, they're going to vote on, on that rezoning. The land had no zoning to it. Right. 
So when we bought it, it had a zoning. It, it yeah. didn't have it. So it's kind of funny. I'm like having to fight for zoning now. Yeah. So I'll get a, a zoning. I'll either get regular residential or I can put duplexes. So we're going to be good either way. Yeah. But I want to get the commercial, not the commercial, but the duplex. That way we have other buyers. Now we can, guys want to build commercial income properties. Uh, which again, somebody wants to buy an income property. Here's where they go. They go buy a duplex. So. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. You know, and you have to start somewhere. Duplex is really not a bad place to to uh, to start. I know Matt, Matt or Matthew whatever asked earlier, uh, what's the best? I always say a triplex. But if you're gonna buy something and you can only afford a duplex, do it. Move into one side. Yeah. Rent the other side. Keep it's it. It's better than renting, and better it's renting. better than buying a single door. You know, yeah. because there's there's two. As far as income properties, your right. future is to own properties. Then yes, don't buy a single door uh, where you're going to. Single, he's talking about a single door unit. He means one house because you yeah, really can't a rent a house for lingo. income. Yeah, you can't really make income off a house because the value of the debt services and the insurances and taxes almost equal the rent. So, right. Versus income properties that have multiple tenants to pay those services and then give you money in your back pocket. Yeah. So, so you know, John is a developer as well and. Right now, the property that we're talking, whoa, almost fell off my chair. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> really slippery. Uh, so, you know, the property that we're talking about, uh, this was actually a, a dead piece of land, raw, right? No utilities, no gas, no water, no electricity. It was just an ISO in the middle of an existing community. It was kind yeah. of community. It was an heart of Horizon, right? Really in the heart, right by the Walmart and stuff. And I'm surprised nobody ever found it. Um, in fact, when we started to look in development, people kept telling us how. You know, they wish they'd known about it. They all would have bought it. We, it was a great deal for us. It's going to be a great investment. Um, you know, I don't want to share the numbers, but I will tell you we'll probably clear about five times our initial investment on this property. Yeah. Which is unheard of. So those deals come along. You just got to look for them. When you're an investor and you're buying and you're buying things, never rush into anything. Never, never push a deal. Never try to make that deal just because you fall in love with it. Look, be patient. Let the good stuff set a standard of what you want. That's why I developed spreadsheets. Set a, set a standard on the return on investment, the ROI, and don't 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 leave it. Don't divert from it. Yeah. Right. Stick with what you decided. No matter how pretty, no matter how uh, attached and this a building may get, that's what hurts you. You gotta Stick be to disciplined, it. right? If, yeah. yeah. If you, you cannot get that return on investment, walk away. Mm -hmm. No matter what it, no matter what it is, because. Money is money, and you only have it if you're making good investments. Yeah, definitely. So be smart with your money. Um, but, John, you've dropped a, no a lot of knowledge for us. Um, what would you say, just kind of going now to the El Paso market right now, obviously we're, we're here in the city. I feel like there's been so much growth in the last five years. Um, you know, we have so many businesses coming, and so much money is being poured into the Far East side. You have money being poured into the West side and downtown, all over the place. Um, what do you think is one of the most underrated areas in the city for investors in the next coming years? Well, there's no doubt that um, Fort Bliss is growing a lot. It's expected about 10,000 more troops are going to be coming here with BRAC and the more, closing more bases. Eventually, they're going to be coming to here. Uh, 10,000 troops is a lot of troops. That's 10,000 yeah. families. Well, that's not 10,000. There's a good number of families. Yeah. Um, Fort Bliss likes to look at the northeast and east. So these areas, there's no, there's, there's, there's a big reason why east is going so much. Yeah. West is kind of landlocked. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of growth. There is some growth, but 
you see a tax. You see an instant tax of at least thirty thousand well, dollars. Well, it's like Westside like can have more desirable areas, right? Because he says becoming more desert, right? Um, but you get more bang for your buck on the east side. Your dollar goes a lot further. So, um, in fact, I I was walking with a realtor the other day and. They were showing a house and the guy could not see, the client could not see that he had an instant equity of 30 grand just to buy that house, but he couldn't get over it. He didn't understand it, so he wanted to go look at something else. I'm like, well, this is exactly what you want. You're going to get $30,000 instant equity because you're here on the east side and that's he didn't get it. It could be a great investment property. Um, so this is no secret. The east side is really growing. Horizon is growing. The northeast has huge potential with the 10,000 troops coming in. Um, so I think all those areas. I love the West Side. West Side is great for the value it holds. I mean, if you buy a property one hundred fifty thousand dollars, it tends to hold that value. Yeah, it does more. East Side drops a little bit more, um, in my opinion. All this is all my opinion. So, um, hence why the West Side can be more desirable. But it is landlocked. There's no mm -hmm. growth. Yeah, and that's why you actually see so much appreciation out in the West Side. And not that there's depreciation in the East Side. But those values are kind of at a standstill because there's so much growth. And that's what you usually kind of see in new developed areas that are still growing. Somebody that does want to sell their house that just bought their house two years ago usually tends to struggle a little bit more because they're going to have to price their house more strategically, more aggressive, because down the street they're still building that same floor plan for $5,000, $10,000 more, you know? Yeah. So, so you do see a lot of prices right now. On a, on a standstill in the east side, but that's only temporary. I feel like once we start developing a lot more out on the east side, once we, we start running out of more room and once we start reaching, you know, the mountains, those mountains on the other side that I didn't even know, you know, were there, then I think, you know, um, you're going to see values appreciate more on the east side. And the other thing that I like more about, okay, one of the things I, I hope to see more in El Paso, and we're getting it more on the west side than the east side, which is why, again, we're getting better values. It's not part of the question you asked me with regards to um, underutilized areas, areas that have potential. But one of the things that should be happening more on the east side is the communities, all self-contained communities. You know, you have the Montecillo being built on the west side here, and it has a movie theater, it has restaurants, it has bars, it has houses and apartments all around. It's created a, a community, kind of like when you go to the bigger cities, you never leave two blocks from your house because everybody right. needs within two blocks. Those communities are very helpful in keeping that income in that area. So um, uh, the East Side hasn't really pushed that idea. It's become so cookie cutter in the East Side. Yeah, and to that, I mean, right now in the East Side, with all the neighborhoods that are being developed, they're actually incorporating a lot of really cool and neat stuff there's so much commercial land out there that people aren't really seeing yet just because yeah. it hasn't really hit off of Saragossa yet. It's going to though. Uh, there's That's so much commercial yeah, there's so much commercial land. But you know, in the east side, I think right now it's just there's so much happening on the east side. And the cool thing is that now city developers are implementing so many parks. Now every single parks new neighborhood and... that you come into you're gonna have nice little parks, yeah. as well as that huge Eastside Sports Complex. You know, that, that so, they're doing more family things, and also mm, just the streets, how uh, yeah, more more wider. Um, you know, more plants. Yeah, more yeah, trees. more more we vegetation. To, that's the best part about going to Phoenix or some of these other cities around us, Albuquerque. Right. If you see how they're developing their their communities, developing their streets, developing their cities. It's just it's becoming very conducive to to. 
we're we're growing the right. the, the millennials and everything what they yeah. want everything they want everything right around them they can walk to it so communities have got to start being geared that way that's the only downside about the east side you have something you have to go so far to get to something else and, yeah uh, yeah and, and we need to change some of that but I see tremendous growth going up. Yeah, definitely. And so I wouldn't have bought over there. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. you, you so have bought some it. investment properties yeah. out there. And and even to that, I mean, the Far East Side just offers so Horizon. much growth. Yeah, it, but the accessibility that, that the city is now doing, there's so much accessibility from the Far East Side to the Northeast to Horizon. The loop. Yeah helps a lot you know the loop and then you have john john hayes that yes. will connect you from far east to the horizon then you have uh montana that can connect you easily yeah, to you the loop and then, that goes to horizon absolutely. yeah yeah so there's yeah. there's just so much accessibility Montwood is soon going to be connected to the other side of Montwood, which uh you your investment property is close to mm -hmm. uh so so you know there's a lot of accessibility east side definitely one of those areas i think people should definitely look out for in the next i think for investment years. properties um there's a lot of opportunities right now. People, if you're a first-time investor, there's a lot of older properties that um, are being given up at this point. Uh, you guys are trying to sell them. People, investors are trying to sell them because they're moving on to other investments. With 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 the state of our government right now and how the interest rates are dropping in many areas. And others are increasing, but just because the economy is pushing, growth, everything, a lot of guys are selling some of the stuff they were being comfortable with and moving to bigger investments. Right. Yeah, so yeah. And we've it's seen kind that. Of like we've seen that. They're uh -huh. moving to the next tier. So guys are dumping their properties. So here's an opportunity for people coming up to start pick up properties. Yeah. And you're going to see that. You're going to see great opportunities. Yeah, you see a lot of people cashing out. And that's what we've been running into the last couple of months. I find a lot of people cashing out on selling their quads and triplexes because they're building, you know, 10 unit, 20 unit complexes. So I, they're moving I, money around. I love eight to 10 unit complexes. Yeah. I do, I just love them. I mean, uh, they just, it's all right there. You still need a guy to live there and you just kind of work. They cost more, you're looking at half a million dollar projects. Yeah. But um, they make money, They they their return on investments are really high. Yeah, definitely so. And uh, we got another question. Um, this is from Matthew again, and Matthew, we actually answered this on the podcast, but I'll let John kind of touch on this for a second. What is one? What are some of the mistakes that you've made and learned from while investing in uh, real estate or in properties? Okay, well, specifically, uh, let's mention um, income properties like uh, rental properties for residential. Uh, let's say a quadruplex or eightplexes or sixplexes, or even a duplex. Uh, the, early on, the big mistake I did was looking at pretty places, nice places that look like, hey, I would like to live there. Well, uh, another point about buying places, never buy a place where you would live because at some point your standard just keeps going up. So you want to buy a place that's just <laughs> nice and clean. You end up buying a super expensive. Yeah, you never rent it. So you end up buying, buy a place that you think is clean and is comfortable to give someone you would rent to. But with that being said, uh, biggest mistake is buying a place, a residential property that is hidden a gem but it's hidden and now you need so much advertisement to rent it because no one knows it's there versus the place off mesa street montana yarborough places that you can put a sign for rent and boom people have so much traffic they're going to rent it right away that it's less um, work to rent a property that is visibly he heavy visibility versus a place that doesn't now that's for multi-tenant houses <clears throat> houses are different you can do the house and put it in the newspaper and somebody wants to rent a house but 
the multi-tenant, I, I think high traffic areas are the best place. Yeah. Focusing on location, 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 location. Mm -hmm. Well, you hear it all the time. Saving yeah. money. It's all about making money back. Right. And it's finding, you know, what, where and what people want to live in, you know. You don't want somebody or something that you wouldn't even live in and you're trying to push to people that's going to be super hard for you to find tenants and you're just going to end up struggling. So, good. We got a, we got a whole bunch of content. I'm really excited for you guys to see the full episode coming out this coming Wednesday um, with John. Uh, you dropped a whole bunch of knowledge. Uh, you know, this is probably one of those interviews that most people have to pay for. And I'll just say that because you really dropped a lot of gold nuggets for people to really Well, take. we're giving snippets of knowledge. Unfortunately, it's, it, you can sit down with somebody and talk to them for hours and we teach them on things. But here, we're just trying to answer a few questions. And um, But like I say, Manny can, or like Manny mentioned, he can uh, take your questions and I'd be more than willing to answer them through him. Awesome. So... Real quick, um, two two final questions. One is for the audience. I know some of you guys aren't investors, but uh, a lot of the people that are listening in on the podcast here on iTunes um, or watching on YouTube, uh, a lot of you guys are real estate agents as well, uh, just like me. You know, so that's a cool thing about real estate is I get to build a network of a bunch of friends. You know, in real estate, we all get to network together. So if you are a real estate agent and you do come across, you know, an investment property or a good deal, John will kind of tell you a little bit about what he looks for in a good deal. If you do have any deals that, you know, do come up, John is a cash buyer also. So we do. You know, I do a lot of cash deals. I'm quick turnaround five to 10 days, depending on how much um, a discount on the price we can get. So, yeah, um, we can close within five days to 10 days. I'll look at the property, do initial inspection. Um, and the cash purchases, we're not limited, but we also, it's all on the return on investment for me. Right. So what, what type of properties should real estate agents be sending you? What type of properties do you, do you buy? You know, the thing is I get, I get so much feeds of properties and I just instantly look at the price and I look at how much they're getting on gross income and right off the bat, it tell me it's worth looking at or not. So some of the things that I would consider is if they know how to calculate an ROI, calculate an ROI. If they don't, then ask me. And I, yeah. I'm more than willing to help. Uh, Manny will tell you, he came to me and I started helping him right off the bat. I have no problem. Because if, if I can teach you how to learn how to make an ROI, not an NOI, but an ROI, teach you how to calculate that, then you're going to bring me a good deal every time. So um, it's that simple. I'll teach you how to do it. If you know how, then bring me a deal. I'm looking for ROI, or ROIs that start in the 20s before I even start looking at it. Because there's so many good deals now, I don't have to get less. Right, so I'm gonna drop the email if you if you are a real estate agent if you do run across a property, distressed property, investment property. Distress, bankruptcies also help. I mean, there's a lot for that. I, you've got to catch before they go bankrupt or before they file. Make sure they're clean. They have no too, not too much debt against them. Right. Um, and pre MLS also, we love those. Right. Pre MLS stuff, especially if you have that grandma that has like a five acres of land and wants to get rid of. I'll write a check. Give them 64 check. acres. 64 acres. I the deal manager realized and brought it for me from a lady, older lady who was trying to sell five acres. I loved it. Paid her cash. Took us five days. Yeah. Wrote a check for five days. Right. Right. So yeah, I'm gonna drop the email. If you guys do have you know any investment properties that you do want to run by John, um, go ahead and send those investment properties to Carrerainvest at gmail.com. I'll go ahead and drop the email on the comments and I'll help you guys break down that ROI if you don't know how to figure it out that way we could go ahead and present it and if it's a good deal if it makes sense it makes money right so it's a good deal so awesome um, one last question for you John I, um, 
you know, we're, we're live right now. We're on podcast for iTunes. Make sure you guys check out the full podcast coming out this Wednesday. Um, a lot of information for, you know, anybody that's looking to purchase their first property, their 10th property. If you're thinking about, you know, investing in your first property, there's a lot of helpful information on this podcast. So make sure you guys check it out. Um, one, you know, we've been talking for, for quite a bit of time. We've About had a, hour. a bunch but of We've drinks. been drinking for one. Yeah, and we've and cleaned been talking two bottles. For one, so it's like two hours. We didn't yeah. clear two bottles back then. Yeah. The fact that we can even talk sensibly is amazing to me at the moment. So right? I'm more for Manny because he's I'm not, a I'm actually, novice whiskey drinker. Yeah, I'm not, but I have a, <laughs> I could talk while I'm drinking, so that's fine. But um, one question that I kind of want to just end with, um, what is your... You know, what is your favorite thing to do here in El Paso? What's what's that one place or restaurant or, you know, coffee shop or that one place that you just can't get enough of here? Well, it wouldn't be. <laughs> For me, I think it's not about the restaurants or the bars. We have a lot of fabulous restaurants and bars. Um, so that's not where I look when I want to go relax and go have a good time. My favorite things are, are the, our surroundings. Uh, going out and hang, uh, hanging out at Percha Dam and going fishing there, or go up to Waco Tanks and climb the cliffs, or go up to Trans Mountain and hike over to McAlkin Canyon, or go visit the Gila and hang out at City of the Rock. See, it's our surroundings. We have so yeah. much nature out here. So, and a lot of a lot of people don't know. Like even people that have lived here their entire life don't know the cool little things or cool little drives, right. quick drives that that we have. You, there's so much for us to do around here. So when you talk about bars and restaurants, there's so many cool bars and restaurants here. Yeah. Um, that's not what I like to do. That's not my favorite thing. I mean, there's just so many. I mean, I like here too. Yeah. In fact, we're, it's uh, Vitolas. Yeah, yeah. Just... Great cigar shop. Um, and they have great whiskeys. Um, and I actually come here and read every now and then. But the, the, um, it's, the, it's the outdoor stuff we have in this yeah. area that is so unique to our region. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I actually noticed that. I feel like I was watching Instagram, Facebook, and I was seeing so many people do all these cool things so close to El Paso. And I was like, what the hell? I've never even seen that, you know? So we actually just incorporated, me, Sosa, my my marketing guy, we just incorporated weekly um, cool little trips or getaways that we're, we're kind of promoting. Getaways. Yeah, yeah. Weekly, that way, you know, last trip we did was which one, Sosa? Or last, uh, there's a aerial tramway. The tramway we just oh, did the tramway. Yeah, I've never even been on the tramway. Hawaii aerial yeah, yeah, the tramway, the one before that. Um, I actually wanted to to uh, do the edge of Texas when you guys told me about it. Edge of Texas is kind of cool. Just a lot of history out there. Um, just so many cool spots. I guess at some point I'll write a lot of places you go to because yeah. uh, that's all I do. I spend my weekends trying to find things to do. Sometimes. Cool. Quick getaways. Yeah. Drive out and drive back. Have lunches in little tiny towns like in Hillsboro, New Mexico. Yeah. Just drive up there to have Hole lunch. Hole in the wall. Hole in the wall. You walk in, you have lunch, you have pictures from the 30s and 40s. The restaurant used to be an old nickel and dime. I'm sorry, an old uh, pharmacy. It still has its old stuff there. There's so many places just to hang out like that. Uh, yeah. And we, we forget that they're out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm glad you said that because there is, I, I took notice to that. I know Sosa did over here as well, and that's why we started kind of incorporating that. Um, I know you've probably seen him that too, but yeah, it's been fun. So cool. I'm, I'm really, really excited for this podcast to come out. I'm really excited for all you guys to hear, you know, what, what John has to, to share with you guys, um, you know, to kind of just touch on this again. John, you know, 
very successful person, uh, influencer, you know, investor, developer, entrepreneur, uh, definitely has a lot to share. So make sure you guys check out our podcast coming out next week on Wednesday and every podcast after that. Um, I'm really excited again for this to come out. John, any closing words? No, I, I, well, yes, I say no, but I mean, (laughs) (laughs) um, the advice I give everybody who's, to young people, people in their twenties that I wish had done back then, that every time you spend a dollar at at a certain point, you should consider it an investment. The minute you start looking at every, every, the minute you start looking at every dollar you own should be used as an investment. It means every purchase you do should give you a percentage back on income, whether it's a, Purchasing a house, purchasing uh, any large um, properties or anything, anything you buy at a certain age should be considered an investment. That way you can have an early period in life to start looking at retirement. And that financial freedom, right? Like, yeah. I mean, because that's, I think, what is ideally the main cause of stress and the main cause of depression and suicide is a lot of people are so under pressure because of money, you know, something as simple as. Just making that that monthly mortgage well, payment, especially when you're young, the keeping up with the Joneses attitude. You're always trying to, you always want the best car. You want the right. coolest clothes. You want the, I mean, we've had these conversations. You want the coolest house. You know, I came from nothing, yet um, here I am sitting, already retired practically. I mean, I spend my day doing what I want. Yeah. Um, but if I had learned what I, if I had learned back then what I know now, um, I probably would have been more successful sooner. And then that is just. Quit wasting your money on frivolous things. It's 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 not what people see uh, that shows how much character and wealth you have. Right. It's what it's what you yourself. What you share, what uh, you can write, what you can do. Exactly. So I think that's one of the things we learn late in life when we into our notes and that's how to save money and how to make the money work for us. What you do get a hundred dollars can make you two hundred dollars the next day. Two hundred can make you four. Four can make you eight. Eight yeah. can make you six. It just grows. You know, yeah, you just, have to, start somewhere. you just have to start somewhere mm-hmm. um, and saving that money. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope you guys uh, wise words from Matthew, and he really appreciates your words. So, Matthew, um, <laughs> <laughs> couple so, of questions from Matthew. yeah, so uh, thank you guys again for tuning in. Make sure to catch our full podcast next Wednesday, episode number three of Whiskey Wednesday podcast. And we're tuning out, so we'll catch you guys next week, and thanks for tuning in.